0: thank you for this beautiful day. We thank you for the privilege. God, it is a privilege to be here, to be afforded uh, a, an opportunity in your presence to pray, to sing, to worship, to praise you. We thank you for this free country that, that makes that possible. We thank you for Jesus' death on the cross and forgiveness of sins that gives us access to the Holy of Holies. As we as we worship you, God. Open our hearts. Speak to us and help us to be bold enough to respond and obedient enough to want to. Whatever you ask of us, we want to be obedient and follow and obey and trust you. God, draw us closer into yourself as we worship you this day. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated.
1: Good morning. Welcome to First Baptist Church. If you are a guest this morning, if you would do us a huge favor, if you would take your bulletin and just tear off that registration part, if you would fill that out and pass that in during the offering time, we'd appreciate that. That may be your offering today. If you have a prayer need on the back of that, member or guest, please fill that out and there is a team praying for us during this morning's service right now. Uh, Members and guests, let's stand and just greet those around us.
0: boys and girls. How are you this morning? Good. Good. You look so nice. You girls are so pretty. You boys are so handsome. A lot of you dressed up last week for Easter, and I'm, I'm so glad you're here today. It's important to come on Easter Sunday, but it's important to come the Sunday after Easter and the Sunday after that, too, because we want to be faithful as we worship God because of what he did for us when he raised Jesus from the dead. So we're still celebrating that, and we're excited about that. I think Kennedy Brooks, did she bring the Happy Club bag today? Let's see. Anything special I should know before I open it, Kennedy? It's not going to jump out and bite me, is it? All right. Let me see what's in here then. It's tied up. Let me see. Oh, I'm terrible at knots. I think it's I think you braided this. <laughs> oh, Kennedy, what what in the world? Let me see. Kennedy, you have to tell me about this. I think I know what it is, but I want to be sure. What can you tell me? Is it a gourd? Where did you get it? Vacation Bible School. Was this one of the crafts in Vacation Bible School last year? And, and uh, the girls came, and I think we actually had some ladies who call themselves the gourd ladies. And they, you have one, too? And you all painted gourds and took it home. What did you do with it, Kennedy, when you got home? Is it in your bedroom? Did you hang it up? Did your mom put it in the living room and hang it from the chandelier? No. No, but you've got it in your bedroom. And you, Any special reason why you brought it? You're just proud of it. This is something that Kennedy made, I think, with her own... Oh, it's, it's got... You can shake it, too, and make noise. So it's all kinds of things. A rattle, it's like a big rattle. You think a baby's going to hold this and go... No, I'm sure Kennedy doesn't do that, but she brought that, boys and girls, because we made these in Bible school last year, and uh, she's so proud of it, and I'm just so excited, Kennedy, that you brought this, and it reminds us of how important our children's ministry is, how important Vacation Bible School is, and all the volunteers who work in Bible school every summer after summer when it's hot outside, and they're out there painting gourds and helping you uh, paint them and shellac them and take them home, and 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 hang on to your crafts and remember the things that you can make with your own hands because God has given you that gift and because we have adults who care and want to work with you in Bible school. So I'm glad you're proud of this, Kennedy, and I hope you hang on to this. I still have a little picture frame that I made when I was in Bible school that's, uh, I guess it's tongue depressors or something, a little frame that you glue together and put a picture in the middle of. But uh, those things that we do in Bible school, we cherish our whole lives because we made them and because adults cared enough to help us make them. So let's pray right now and thank God for adults who work with children in Bible school and, and for God who loves us and makes that possible. Let's bow together. I'll pray and you pray after me. Dear God, thank you for Bible school and for adults who work with us and teach us about you. Help us to learn well. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You want your gourd back? All right. There you go. Thank you for sharing a wonderful Bible school craft with us, Kennedy. It's a boy's turn, Miss Karen. Andrew, will you take the bag home and bring back something next Sunday? Boys and girls, you can go with Miss Karen to children's worship. Careful, let me help you.
2: with
1: Christ our Savior Psalm 16:8 says I've set the Lord always before me. Can we think about Jesus Christ as always being right there in our vision. Please stand as we sing Be Thou My Vision book of Malachi, the writer challenges his people, excuse me, during that day, to try him, and they say, how shall we try thee? And he says, because you have robbed me with your tithes and your offerings. It has been proven over and over again that when God's people obey God's word, which includes the tithe, it's a difficult time in our nation. But I encourage you, if you're not a tither or a giver, till you start that and make it a part of your life. Would you join me in a word of prayer? Lord, we come before you with humble hearts, thanking you, Lord, when we look around at all of your blessings. We do indeed, Lord, live in trying times, but your word never fails us, you never forsake us. You tell us in the book of Malachi if we'll just trust you and obey and just share the blessings back with you so that that that, uh, money may be the ongoing work that you have given this church on this corner in this city. Thank you for this day, Lord. Thank you for your many blessings. Forgive us, for we all have failed you. In Christ's name, and amen.
0: Thank you, choir. We long to worship. And that is our privilege. It's incumbent upon us as a responsibility because it is a privilege. I'm going to talk in a minute about a church that did not take that privilege, um, did not take it seriously. Before I forget, though, I want to mention your pictures. Those of you who had pictures made last Sunday, I saw them on the table in the rotunda, and on the counter, on the Welcome Center, out, just outside the door of the Family Life Center. And some of them are very good pictures. I hope if you had a picture made, you'll stop by and pick it up. Um, also, I just wanted to give a word of explanation why I have a different sermon from 8:30 and 11. I preached this sermon three weeks ago at the 1050 service when TJ was up here, and then I preached it two weeks ago at the 830 service when Karen Smith was in this pulpit. I had some folks say, we need to hear that sermon at 11 as well. So that's why I'm catching up. I've I've had two weeks practice. So I I hope it's ready for the 11 o'clock service. But uh, I I want after today, we'll be back in our cycle of of two final churches in the letters to the seven churches in Revelation. We've looked at Ephesus and Smyrna and um, Pergamum and Thyatira. And the fifth church is Sardis. As we read this passage, I want you to ask yourself, why would anybody n- name their church Sardis Baptist Church? It's not very flattering. And I looked on the Internet, several hundred Sardis Baptist churches, uh, other denominations, but uh, of the seven churches that we've looked at, there are two that, that John is most critical of, this one in Sardis and the last one in Laodicea. And I don't think it's a coincidence that those two churches, the city Where those two churches existed are no longer there. Uh, The churches are gone, the cities are gone, and I don't think it's a coincidence that as goes the church, so goes the city, not long thereafter. The church at Sardis, Revelation 3 1 through 6, this is the fifth church that we'll look at. And he has some strong words. And to the angel of the church in Sardis write, the words of him who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars, I know your works. You have the name of being alive, and yet you are dead. Awake and strengthen what remains and is on the point of death, for I have not found your works perfect in the sight of God. Remember then what you have received and heard. Keep that and repent And if you will not awake, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what hour I will come upon you. Yet you have still a few names in Sardis, people who have not soiled their garments, and they shall walk with me in white, for they are worthy. He who conquers shall be clad thus in white garments, and I will not blot his name out of the book of life. I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches." It's a harsh word that John has a revelation from the Lord for Sardis. And it's a a word to us too. That's why these letters are relevant. It's not just to seven churches in Asia Minor 2,000 years ago. But it's a caution and a warning to every church today. Let's bow together. Father, as we come to consider this fifth letter that you revealed to your Apostle John, to a church in Sardis 2,000 years ago. It's easy for us to think, well, that's a word to them, but not for us. Help us open up our own eyes and hearts and receive where we need to your word of caution. And command to awake, to watch, and to be ready. To be found faithful in every encounter. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Oftentimes, I kind of build a sermon up to the theme of the sermon and then reveal it toward the end of the message, but this morning, just so that we'll be on common ground, I want to say outright what I think this fifth letter to the church at Sardis is saying. It's basically this. I think that the title of the sermon is When Churches Die, The Church at Sardis. I think churches die not because of opposition from without or even because of conflict from within. I think churches die most often because they just gradually lull themselves to sleep. Gradually lull themselves to sleep. They get comfortable, they get complacent. They like doing things the way they've always done them. And as they age, they fall asleep. I I ride out in the country oftentimes, and I'll see a church in the country, and it's covered up with vines, and the doors are padlocked, and it's obvious it's been closed for a while, and it breaks my heart. And I, I see homes around it in the vicinity, in the neighborhood, and I'm wondering what happened to that church? What happened to the folks that once attended there and were faithful there and worshiped the Lord there? And my guess is, as happens so often, they just grew sleepy and weary and closed the doors. That's what happened to the church at Sardis. Sardis is about 30 miles southeast of Thyatira, so there is a kind of a clockwise route that John's letters are taking from Ephesus to Smyrna to Uh, Thyatira to Pergamum, and then on around to Sardis, and then we'll get down to Laodicea shortly. Sardis originally was on the frontier, and it was a rough area. But roads came from about five different directions and crisscrossed in Sardis, and so it became a trading town. And a lot of goods and commodities came through its city uh, boundaries, and it became wealthy. It reminds me a lot of Las Vegas. It became decadent over the years and self-absorbed and comfortable. It settled into a life of luxury and apathy and immorality. That was the threat of the church at Sardis, not because there was emperor worship from the outside or because uh, they were being forced from the inside to join different trade guilds and offer sacrifices to those gods. No, it just got comfortable. And I think the greatest danger to a church is not opposition or conflict. The greatest danger to a church is complacency. They just fall asleep and get comfortable. And as I mentioned, the two churches that receive the harshest condemnation belong in the only two cities of the seven that no longer exist. This town of Sardis and the one of Laodicea. First the church dies, and then the city. But let me give you a little background to this town of Sardis. It's interesting, i circled in verse 2 and in verse 3, the word awake is repeated. Some Some translations say watch. Watch and strengthen what remains. If you will not watch or awake, I will come like a thief. Let me tell you why that word is significant. Sardis was built on the side of a mountain, and it was impossible to attack. It was too high up from the ground. It was a steep cliffs that no one could climb and penetrate. It had the mountain behind it that protected it, and so basically it was impregnable. It was impenetrable. It was unable to besiege from any area. Well, one day King Cyrus comes up on the base of Sardis, and he wants to attack it and take it. But there's no way to climb the cliffs to get to the city walls. And so he calls his troops together and he tells them if anyone can figure out a way to attack the town of Sardis on the side of this mountain, I will give him a tremendous bonus. And so that evening, one of his soldiers, I read this in several histories and several commentaries. One of the soldiers is watching the city wall of Sardis it's evening time and he notices one of the soldiers on the wall drop his helmet over the wall. And uh, as the soldier drops his helmet over the wall he climbs over the wall to retrieve his helmet and then scampers back up the cliff over the wall into Sardis. Well the soldier on the ground is watching all this happening and he makes a mental note of the, of the path that this soldier takes retrieving his helmet and then scampering back up the cliffs over the wall to safety. That evening, that soldier leads a small band of troops up this wall retracing the steps that this soldier had taken retrieving his helmet. And they get up to the walls of Sardis and guess what they find? Nobody is there. Nobody is guarding the wall because they thought they were impregnable. They were safe from that direction of attack. And so the band of soldiers came in and led others up, and soon the the town of Sardis was taken because nobody was guarding the wall. Ironically, the same thing happened about 200 years later. They made the same mistake. Another band of soldiers came up the cliffs where no one thought they could and, attacked, and there was no one guarding or watching the wall. And so when they hear these words, awake and strengthen what remains, if you do not awake, I will come like a thief, it will remind them of the, their infamous history, how no one was watching, how no one was awake guarding the wall and what happened to their city as a result of falling asleep while on guard. It was a hard lesson that Sardis had learned that they would never Forget. Well, apparently, what was happening in the city of Sardis was being repeated in the church at Sardis. No opposition, no conflict. They were just falling asleep. They just quit caring. What did they quit caring about? They quit caring about, verse 1 I know your works. You have the name of being alive, and yet you are dead. Can you imagine an apostle writing this letter and sending it to the church and having it read in morning worship? <laughs> you have the reputation tifton of being alive and yet you are dead. Don't you imagine it sent shockwaves through the people. You're dead. Well, what did you quit caring about? You quit caring you first first of all you quit caring about the things of God. You quit, you, you quit caring about God. You lose sight of Him and what He's done. We just celebrated Easter last Sunday, and this place was packed. Not everybody came back this morning, did they? It's not that they quit caring. I, I know that. It's just that, that different schedules, different calendars, maybe family traveled in. But, you know, how many people only come on Easter or only come at Christmas? You cannot ever quit caring. Maybe some of you are here this morning and you quit caring. You're just going through the motions. You just got up this morning because this is what you always do. You put on clothes, but you weren't excited. You weren't anticipating worship. You you, you didn't um, prepare in any way, reading the scripture, doing your devotions throughout the week. Listen, you can't just get up on Sunday morning and come to church and be prepared to worship. It, it's something that takes a week to prepare for. It's that important to be ushered into the the presence of the Holy God and so often we quit caring about that and we just take this privilege for granted. And when you quit caring about the things of God, when you take for granted His love and His, His presence and what Jesus did for us on the cross and what God did for Him on Easter Sunday when you quit caring about the things of God, then you quit caring about the things that God cares about. What does God care about? God cares about people. God cares about people. He cares about you and me, and He cares about the lost who don't know Jesus as Lord and Savior. And when you quit caring about God and the things of God, then you quit caring about lost people, and you you don't really care about telling them about what God did for them on the cross. You quit caring about what Jesus did for them when he died there and, and when he went to the tomb and how God raised him up and you don't tell anybody about that and you're no longer excited about your relationship with Jesus and the things he's done for you and it, it just doesn't really matter. It's not on the forefront. It's not a priority in your life anymore and, and we quit telling folks about Jesus. We quit visiting folks about Jesus and fewer and fewer people join the church. Fewer and fewer people are baptized as time goes on. And the church stops looking a lot like a church and starts looking a lot like a country club where people come and and have fellowship and enjoy being together but aren't really concerned about the lost who aren't here. I heard several years ago, and I really think it's profound, that the church is the only institution in the world that exists for the sake of its non members. Did you hear me? Church is the only institution in the world that exists for the sake of its non members. And when we lose sight of God and when we lose sight of the things that God cares about, we quit caring about folks who aren't here and we begin to die like Sardis. And so, John, through the revelation, says, Awake, verse 2, watch, verse 3, be, be prepared, be watchful, be ready. Remember what the Christians in Sardis would recall, what that would conjure up in their minds when they hear somebody say, wake up, watch, be ready. They'll remember how their town had fallen to enemies because nobody was on the wall, because nobody was watching, because everyone assumed that they were safe from attack from that angle. You know, when Satan comes to attack us, He knows our weaknesses. Don't you think he knows our weaknesses? And he exploits them. He knows where we're vulnerable, where the point of easy entry is into your spiritual life, into your physical life, into your emotional life, and where you are weakest. There he'll. Let me ask you this question. It's a hypothetical. Where do you think Satan will attack first? Do you think he'll attack at our weaknesses or our strengths? Don't answer, because it's a loaded question. Will Satan attack our weaknesses or our strengths? I'll tell you what I think, because I was thinking about Sardis when I asked that question. I think he'll attack both. I think he'll attack at our weaknesses, because that's the point of easiest entry. That's the point where we're most vulnerable. And you and I have weaknesses, let's face it. And that's where Satan will launch an onslaught. But I think Satan will also attack at our strengths because a lot of times we're like Sardis and we think our strengths are the place where Satan could never attack, that we are the least vulnerable and we let our guard down. And so that's where Satan wants to attack too. I've heard people say, I'm so strong in this area right now, Satan can never hurt me here. Guess what happens? That's when they let their guard down. And that's where Satan... I mean, he doesn't come with a sledgehammer in the mid-abdomen, mid he, he takes a little ice pick and he chips away at the feet, slowly, gradually, chip, 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 and he never lets up because he knows where your weaknesses are and where you'll fall. He knows where your strengths are and where you may drop your guard because you think you're invulnerable there. But I think Satan attacks at both angles, weakness and strength, and seeks to cause us to fall. What do we do? John tells us, verse 3, remember what you have received and heard, and keep that and repent. Remember and repent. It is so simple. Remember what you have seen and heard. Remember the gospel message. Remember when you first received it. Remember your baptism. We're going to celebrate that tonight. And I'm so excited the five will be passing through those waters. Remember the Lord's Supper and what it represents we'll be observing this evening. Remember what God did for you on Easter Sunday. And repent. Repent. Turn away from your sins. Turn away from your complacency. Turn away from your level of comfort. And hold on to God with both hands, and give your life to him fully it 's never too late to repent and start again. Sometimes I think about it like a like a train and and we 're traveling uphill, and sometimes we get tired and and trains have sidings and and sometimes we just go off on a siding and sit, and we kit we quit we quit working, we quit churning, we quit. Serving, We quit growing. We quit quit doing the disciple, the spiritual disciple, the disciplines that we're supposed to do. Praying, reading the Bible, spending time with God, serving Him, tithing, attending worship, studying God's Word and growing in our relationship with Him. And we're on that siding and, and what this letter tells us to do is remember and repent. Remember when you, were, when you were going, when you were growing, when you were serving, when you were di- being discipled and, and maturing in the faith. Repent of, of what you have been doing and turn away from it and get back on the right path. And when you do that, there are still a few names in Sardis, verse 4, who have not soiled their garments. What does that mean? They have not been defiled by sin. They shall walk with me in white, for they are worthy. He who conquers shall be clad thus in white garments. What do white garments mean? White garments means they have been cleansed and forgiven and made righteous by the blood of Jesus shed on the cross. We wear white robes when we baptize tonight. They wore white robes when they baptized in the early church. It symbolized uh, their righteousness before God, not because of anything we've done, but because of the fact that our sin has been forgiven, confessed, repented, and forgiven by the blood of the Lamb. And if you do that in verse 5, he who conquers shall be clad thus in white garments, and I will not blot his name out of the book of life. The book of life, in, in ancient civilizations, they actually kept books of registers of citizens. And when a citizen died, they struck his name out of the book. Well, oftentimes the New Testament talks about a book of life, and it's a symbolic book that God keeps. It represents all those who belong to him, who have believed and confessed and repented and been saved. It's a symbolic book of life. Uh, incidentally, over in Revelation twenty fifteen, this is what it says. This is the lake of fire. If anyone's name is not found written in the book of life, he will be thrown into the lake of fire. You want your name written in the book of life because that is the testimony that, that God has forgiven you and saved you and your sins have been forgiven. And he says, I will never blot him, I will not blot his name out of the book of life. Actually, in the Greek, it's a double negative. Now, in the English, a double negative makes a positive, but in the Greek, a double negative just emphasizes the negative. And you can translate it, I will not, never blot his name out of the book of life. It will not happen. It cannot happen because you have the white garments of righteousness given to you, by Jesus' death on the cross. I will not blot his name. I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. And he is hearkening back to that statement he makes in Matthew 10, verses 32 and 33 where he says, Everyone who acknowledges me before men, I will acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. Whoever denies me before men, I will deny him before my Father who is in heaven. You acknowledge Jesus, he acknowledges you. You deny Jesus, he denies you. This is, this is what we aren't comfortable with. This is the time that uh, we love to talk about grace and mercy, but they're talking about the time of judgment that will come when the door is shut. And when the door is shut, if your name is not in the book of life, you'll be cast into the lake of fire. It's a frightening thought. And that, if anything, should spur us to tell people we care about Jesus Christ. If we don't care about anybody, then we've quit caring about the things of God. And if we quit caring about the things of God, we will die as individuals and as a church. Fred Craddock is a preaching professor. I think he's at Emory now, but he uh, started off like so many of us did in in small rural churches while in seminary. He had a little church church, in Oak Ridge, Tennessee. It was a beautiful little white-framed church. It had been there for 112 years, and a lot of the families that still came to that little church in Oak Ridge had uh, founding family members who helped establish that church 112 years earlier. It had little uh, shells on the post and and kerosene lanterns that lit it. It had a, a lady who played a pump organ as slowly and softly as she possibly could, and Nothing ever exciting ever really happened in that church and that was the way they liked it. Well one day somebody in Washington in the Pentagon decided it would be a good idea to build a nuclear power plant in Oak Ridge, Tennessee. And cars started showing up in every little nook and holler in this little mountain town. And they had license plates on their cars from Pennsylvania and New York and in Colorado, and, and God help us, even some from Texas. And it frightened the folks in Oak Ridge. And uh, so Pastor Craddock gets the elders together and he says, You know what? We have all these new people coming into our town, and, and we need to we need to reach these new people for Jesus. And the elders got together. You know what elders are? They're they're like deacons, only a little more spiritual. And so the elders got together and they said, you know what, let's, let's not do anything hasty. And, and they disbanded and they said, we'll come back and decide this next Sunday. So Craddock writes about this. He said, next Sunday the elders came back together and before Craddock could even make a motion, I mean his pastor, he couldn't make a motion anyway. but You know, he wanted them to to reach out to these new folks who were coming in with, with all these different ideas from different parts of the country and it frightened the elders before Craddock could say anything, one of the elders said, I make a motion that we change all the locks on the church, and we only give keys to people who own property in this county. Well, Craddock lived in a pastorium, so he didn't own any property, so he, could, he didn't say anything. He was afraid they wouldn't give him a key. But uh, before anybody could say anything, another elder seconded it, and they voted unanimously. To, to change the locks and to give keys only to people who own property. They were afraid. All these interlopers coming in, they might marry their daughters, they might introduce strange music into the worship service. hymns they didn't know. Uh, it was frightening. And so that's how it went. Years later Craddock graduated, uh, he was a professor of preaching, and he and his wife are up in years now, they say, you know what, we're, we're in the vicinity of Oak Ridge, we're driving through Tennessee, let's go back and see the old church And see how it's doing. They had trouble finding it because with the nuclear power plant that came there were new interstates and and new businesses and and new secondary roads and and the area was hard to recognize. But he asked directions several times and he finally found the church on a secondary road near an interstate. And they got close to it and they got excited because in the parking lot there were cars and trailers and motorcycles and people coming and going And there's just a lot of activity, and it it thrilled Craddock and his wife to see all this going on in this little white frame church. But as they got close to it, they pulled up into the parking lot and they saw a sign, and it said, Oak Ridge Barbecue Restaurant. It was no longer a church, it had become a barbecue restaurant. And Craddock looked at his wife and said, I guess it's a good thing this place is a barbecue restaurant now because if this were a church, none of these people would be welcome here. You know, when I say a church can be alive on the outside but dying on the inside, it's easy to make that abstract, isn't it? You think, You know, a church is the institution, but it's not. A church is the people. The church is you and I. How alive are we on the outside going through all the perfunctory motions of carrying on worship? We're doing fine. But is that a reflection of a spirit of life on the inside that loves God and serves him and obeys him and follows him and cares about him and not only cares about him but cares about the things that he cares about? And that means caring about lost people and doing whatever we can to win those folks to Jesus Christ. Because when we realize what God did for us, how dare we hoard that precious knowledge for ourselves. We care about the things that God cares about. And when we do that, You have the name of being alive. And yet you are alive. Wouldn't that be wonderful for the church at Sardis to have heard? It would have still been here today if it had. Wouldn't that be wonderful to hear God's evaluation of First Baptist Tifton today? Let's bow together. Father, as we come before your presence, we realize that you you hold a spotlight over us. And we can be going through all the right motions and saying and doing all the proper things. I guess that's what the the Jewish people were doing 2,000 years ago, and yet Jesus called them whitewashed tombs because they looked attractive and appealing on the outside, but inside... It's dead men's bones. And God, we, we love you, and we don't want to just be biding our time here. We want to be found faithful and obedient. And we want to be vibrant and alive, not just today, but for generations to come. How frightening it is to think that we're just one generation away from dying. And if we aren't faithful in passing our faith on to our children and to the next generation and the next generation, then what will follow in this location at 404 Love Avenue? We want this church to be here for years to come. Until you come again and take us home, let us be found faithful. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Number 277, take my life and let it be consecrated. Lord, to thee is our invitational hymn, and it's an opportunity for you to respond publicly if God is working in your life, professing your faith, rededicating your life, coming forward to join this church, coming forward to to pray, to remember and repent and give your life to God more fully. Now's the time to do it. Jesus says, if you confess me before men, I'll confess you before my Father who is in heaven. Confess him this day. 277, I'll be at the front to receive you. Let's stand together as we come. public here this morning. <clears throat> and as we do, so let's be mindful of those who've lost loved ones in our, in our midst in recent days. We had a funeral for Donald Rowe yesterday, Tony and, and Timmy and Terry's dad, and we remember that family. Uh, Nancy Ferguson passed away on Friday, Don and Nancy. We want to remember Don and, and that loss. And the funeral will be tomorrow at 11 at Bowen Donaldson, so we want to remember them as well. And also, uh, uh, someone mentioned to me, they saw a little notice in the paper. A lot of you are familiar with Rick Warren and his work with the Purpose Driven Life and the Purpose Driven Church. His 27-year-old son took his life uh, Friday evening. So we want to remember Rick Warren and, and uh, the church in California and, and his ministry, uh, and the ministry to him in this time of sadness as well. Let me remind you, if you have not picked up your pictures from last Sunday, that I saw some of them out on the... Uh, the round table in the rotunda, and then on the counter, uh, the welcome center, going to the family. They're excellent pictures. And if you had your, your photo made last Sunday, to pick that up before you leave today. Now will you join with me in welcoming Heath and Emily Farmer, Natalie, Ann, and Eli. Come and stand with me. Heath and Emily moved to